Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're excited that you're still listening to us, despite the fact that, I don't know, does do anyone listen to podcasts during this pandemic? I know my podcast listening has gone down a little bit because I'm not driving everywhere. because oh, you're not driving as much? Well, I hope that people are listening. I don't think they have anything else to do. It's hard to not talk about where we're at in this current time. Amanda and I have tried really hard to try to make these podcasts as timeless as possible, but it's hard to do that the longer that this pandemic drags on. Well, um, the fact that the effects of this pandemic is going to affect us for quite a while, Yeah, I think, you know, the changes that are going to be made in the school system in the next you know, few months while we gear up for the new school year are probably going to last a while. They're going to yeah. maybe last a few years. And some of the in the technology advances, I think, are going to be good. But then some, you know, trying to change the way that we educate, I think we're going to see lasting effects. And then not to mention the trauma that kids have experienced, as well as you know, just not being in school for so long. How long is that going to affect these kids in school? Absolutely. And I think that we on this podcast have talked a lot about trying to just throw away our current educational system because it's just so bad and starting over. And this, in a sense, is a bit of a reset. But I think the perspective shift is super important. And that's why today's guest, we're really excited, already kind of helps shift that perspective. He has a book that he has written called Uniquely Normal, and his name is Robert Bernstein. And Robert, I'm just going to have you do a little spiel about your background. What made you want to write this book? Well, that's an easy question to answer. I've had 35 years of experience or more working with kids on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. And I have some great stories. Yeah. It. I mean, it's like someone compared my book to Alva Sachs. I mean, they're just interesting stories. Kids yeah. that have no language. All, after 10 months, you can't distinguish them from another a typical kid. And so I put down these stories, but it's more of how I actually worked with each kid and what I actually did. Right. So that a parent could find their own child in some of these stories and say, oh, my kid also likes baseball. Maybe yeah. I could do something similar to my kid because there's a similar problem. Yeah. The real world stories really helps kind of connect, I think, your readers and, and same with like our listeners. It's more relatable than just getting abstract information about this is what the brain does or can do, right? right? It's right. a lot easier to understand, not just for people living in this world, but for everybody, you know, who should be learning more about people living with autism. So when I tell talk about how I help these kids, these kids tantrums, he had tantrums every single day. He missed an hour and a half of school every single day because of his tantrums. So when I said I helped his, you know, resolve that problem by playing baseball with them, right. people are like, listen, go, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I give them the, the details of what happened, you know, with playing baseball with them and how that really resolved the problem with his teachers. And it's just finding that common ground, I think that is something 
when a teacher, maybe a new teacher or a teacher that hasn't had a lot of experience with anybody on the spectrum, you know, they're at a loss sometimes. And that's just us with anything new. And I think the way that you've broken down the book and even just like things to work on, things to think about, really, you know, they say there is no workbook or, or textbook on how to parent or raise your kids. And I'm not saying that this technically is that, but I think in sharing those experiences of all those different children through different phases of their childhood, I think really, like I was saying before, it shifts the perspective of, wow, that's not so different than a typical second grader, right? Like the the behaviors might be elevated a bit, but the core problem was, you know, he couldn't read that word and that was the reaction. Yeah. Well, Temple Grandin, who wrote the forward to the book, when I was with her in Maryland, I taped a, a little bit about what her take on the book was. And she said one thing. It was practical. Yep. Just that we, me and her, should go to the poorest areas of the country and tell them about the book because this is affordable. It's a book. Yeah. And it has that practical aspect that a person could look at it and go, oh, okay, that sounds like my kid. Let me see what I can do with my kid. And I think that's one of the assets of the book. That it's that it is personal. Yeah. Anybody can take a lot from it versus you know, most people having to go to hours and hours of a seminar or a conference to really get some good information about how to support their kid. This is, you know, easy reading that is engaging and definitely accessible to everybody. And yeah, you could go back to and like I said, just the things to think about. It's kind of, you know, the little kind of questions at the end of your textbook where it's kind of like, okay, now let's kind of break down and digest what it is that you just read. What's funny is I'll never forget a couple years ago, Amanda and I were at Fiesta Educativa. It is for a lot of the Spanish speakers in LA, a group of parents of children with special needs and Temple was there and she gave just a presentation about herself and her journey and I remember the question and answer one mom was like you know my son he just goes into his room and he just plays video games all day like I don't know what to do and she's just very blunt and clear cut and she was just like you treat him like everyone else if he does not do his homework he does not get any time you know and it just seemed people think oh no but he's special needs I need to treat him differently or I need to you know and for this mom she was just like wait what like what do you mean and she's like if I had a bad day at school or I didn't complete work I didn't get to watch TV that day and that's how my parents treated me and you know and I turned out fine you know the, the whole I turned out fine and I know that that seems really easy and digestible but I think what's good about this book is just that example that you had given just with the baseball just finding something in common that this child has always had but nobody kind of de- like none of the teachers or anybody that he was exposed to had kind of dove in deeper to find so just to, since we both brought up the baseball example, instead of saying, well, you love baseball, in order to play baseball, you need to do your homework first and use that as a reward. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. You like baseball? Let's play baseball. Mm-hmm. And in this example, just to complete the thought, he's catching the ball. He's pretty good. I'm hitting him out. He's catching the ball to the side of himself mm-hmm. rather than right in front of himself. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, you know which is the better way of catching the ball. You catch it to the side. It's yeah, You want to catch it right in front. Of, yep. So see, he's missing something. And I go to him and I say, you know, there's a better way of doing this. If you put yourself right in front of the ball, don't be afraid it's going to hit you on the head because that's why he's not doing it. Just do it. And he caught almost everyone. And at the end of the session, he said, thank you, which is rare. Right. Yeah. I said, well, then I know I got him. He said, thank you. I said, <laughs> 
You know, your teacher in school is doing the same thing. Now, remember, this kid had tantrums every single day. I know this firsthand because I was there. She says, what are you talking about? My teacher in school is doing the same thing. When your teacher comes over to you and tries to help you with a math problem, she's doing the same thing I'm doing. She's trying to show you a better way of doing the problem. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, okay. Then I said, what do you want? Now I'm empowering the kid. What do you want the teacher to say to you tomorrow morning when she goes over? She says, well, just, it's funny. You ask that question. You don't know what answer you're going to get. Right. <laughs> he gave me the obvious answer, but it was coming from me. He says, well, just tell, her to tell me that I'm going to show you another way of doing it, a better way of doing it. I called the teacher that evening. I said, just say those words. Don't say anything else. Don't say, yeah. 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 <laughs> if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it's not going to work with anything else. Yeah. He did it. It worked. And, you know, no more tantrums. Well, it connected with him. He clearly had the expectations placed on him that the way that you use language connected differently. And we see this right. a lot. We well, see the way the teacher uses language. She's doing what I'm suggesting or what he tells me, you know, just to find him. But the way she did it did not connect with him. Right. It has right. to come from him for this yeah. whole to work. Absolutely. We, we talk about that a lot when we go to IEPs. We, we talk to the team about wanting to make sure that we're giving these clear expectations to these kids and that we're having a conversation with them, you know, getting their feedback. You know, when we talk about using reinforcers or just using certain language, like the simple act of just like what you did, asking the kid what works for him, it goes so far. But I think also the other point to that is like you said, there's an alternative that might be better. Like, I mean, he was catching the ball, right? It just may not have been as, it may not have happened every time because his attempt was on the side. So there were going to be times where he probably didn't catch it. So he's going to get more of the times where he's going to actually catch the ball if he does it with this technique. So it's not about good or bad, right or wrong. It's about here's a different way to do things. And I think we are too quick to tell kids in general, this is the wrong way. This is the right way versus here's an alternative that might work better. And especially our kiddos living on the spectrum, right? I could see you make a good lawyer because I had a, a case, a hearing, where the kid is 16 and he asked me to help him with the Pythagorean theorem and he was in a class of intellectually disabled, retarded, right, kids. Why is he asking about the Pythagorean theorem? And I'm trying to teach it to him, it's not working. And for, I asked him something that hasn't been asked in four years, because this all started when he was 12. I asked him the question like, what's going on? Because I could tell the kid's smart, but he's not getting it. Right. I asked him what's going on. He says, I have these uh, interfering thoughts that come in. I go, oh, all right. Well, if those thoughts could be quieted down, would you like that? He said, yeah. So I thought, okay, what's the perfect person to do that? I got a yoga person mm, and wow. she did her thing for 20 minutes. I gave him this stuff with the Pythagorean theory, no problem. I testified at, at the hearing at the board and I said, you know, you guys took his future away. For four years. You could have right. asked him that question four years ago. Right, right. And he didn't belong in that. Because what happens, if the kid doesn't do anything, he performs poorly, and he's evaluated lower and lower and lower. Well, there's something going on inside his mind that we don't know about. Exactly. Let's ask him. It was uh, revolutionary for the kid, but it was also too bad the damage was done. Well, yeah. well we so learned that with all kids, that we should be having conversations with them and ask them how they're feeling, what they're thinking. You but I think that. it's lost with our kiddos with special needs that a lot of people think, 
well, they might not be thinking things or whatever the misperception may be. We forget to ask those questions, but they should be treated just like any other kid. Ask them. Okay, tell me what you think. I'm glad you're, you guys are lawyers. Tell me what you think. The idea behind what you're saying that we're not asking kids, I think philosophically comes from the idea of curriculum. The idea of curriculums, I have a list of things that I need you to learn. It's not allowing the kid to be part of this process. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a doc that he wrote this blurb on the back about him. A doctor I work with a lot in school in the city, he says, like Temple said, it's practical. He said, this is what your book is all about. I love when people say that. He says, what your book is all about is getting language from within the child. Right. Mm. Having it come from within the child, not telling the child to say the word house because I have a picture of a house. Mm -hmm. So that's the trick to, to learning language and learning anything. Trying yeah. to come, let it come from the child. Right. And as we had kind of said at the beginning of this, with the problem with education and why this pandemic may shift or kind of start that change that, that we needed, that reset, is because it's really stuck in the 50s, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. And, you know, the special education law is relatively new federally, right? It's the 70s. And, you know, we've seen a lot of different takes, you know, obviously, even just as late as what, like in the 2000s and under Obama, you know, we took all the word, you know, the word retarded and replaced it in the federal law with intellectually disabled. And just like, you know, those small steps that we've taken, but just to kind of see your career, right, with the New York as a coordinator with the special education department and science department for New York public schools, and your take on, you know, neurologist report and special education, and obviously your master's in special education, like, to me, like, you just have such, and it just seems so simple, right? Like, why are are we not asking the kid and but you've been saying this for the span of your career and it just blows my mind right that we're still having this conversation yeah. in 2020 but that's why I was saying your book is really a perspective shift because even if you had no and I think now people have some experience with a person on the spectrum. They have a relative, they knew someone growing up, and that was right. not the case, you know, 30 years ago. It probably was, but it wasn't, people weren't aware of it, right? That is why your book, and I think that's why so many people are saying it's so practical, and it's what it is about, is the child. We so often come to these IEP meetings, and it's like, here are all the things that are wrong, here are all their weaknesses, and we're not talking about the child holistically, and I mean, that's obviously what Amanda and I try to do, but you've been doing that your entire... Were people just not listening to you when you first started kind uh, of sharing well, the it? short answer is yes. And I think in one way, it may be getting worse, and I'll tell you why. Oh, interesting. Because the predominant... I'm going to be speaking in about an hour with the person who got ABA, the Applied Behavioral Analysis, the services paid for by insurance companies in all 50 states. So now you have a behavioral approach mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of this developmental or cognitive approach that I present. But this behavioral approach is really you have to prove, you have to observe everything. I went to this talk. In fact, I this person talked first. I talked after her. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she said was, everybody knows about thinking, right? Forget it. She said, she's telling this. I wish I wrote that down yeah, exact yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, Because thinking is something we cannot observe or measure. Mm -hmm. So this whole approach, 
the ABA approach that's traditional, that's accepted throughout the world right, now, right. is not concerned with thinking because they're not, you can't measure it. And I come right after her. And, you're and like, I said, <laughs> she hasn't left her. She was going to, she hasn't left yet. And I said, you know, I want you guys to have an open mind because my whole approach, the whole thing is thinking. Right. So I'm up against the traditional approach. And yeah. there are lots of people who are coming on board. It's not like i the first person who thought about it. Right, right, right. This comes from John Dewey from the 30s, mm-hmm. this idea of an interactive approach. You know, so things like this, the podcast that you're doing, it's kind of getting out the, you know, the word that there's something else out there besides ABA. I think people want a one-size-fits-all. Here is the problem. Here is the solution. And I think that ABA, you know, has, we see that all the time, too. We see parents that say, you know, oh, ABA and things like that. And we've had ABA therapists and things like like that. We have to use this strategy because it works for this other kid and this other student that's like, that doesn't mean that it's going to be the perfect solution or the best but, but solution. But that's the problem is that they everybody wants a one-size-fits-all solution to a yeah. spectrum. You know, you have a neurodiverse mind. It's not neurotypical. And what is typical anyway? And so obviously, you know, Amanda and I are very, what is happening with this individual child? It's an individualized education plan program. So we very much have that, but we're attorneys, right? We know the law and we can go back to the law, but that's why we find things, books like yours, so fascinating, especially coming from that perspective of having worked in the public school system, right? And seen it firsthand and and kind of work through that and obviously with your private practice as well. Yeah, I feel like the old Groucho Marx thing with you bet your life and a duck duck comes out down and say you said the magic word. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything to anybody or not. <laughs> but you said neurodiversity and that's going to be one of my next presentations with a group of experts. And that whole paradigm, it's not that we're seeing Asperger's as autism as a disease that has to be fixed. Right. You know, we're seeing them as people with a condition that in some ways they're contributing to the world. Right. And in other ways they need help. Like what Temple Grandin said, and you may have heard this. She said, who do you think invented the spear? The spear, the guys around the fire, these yakety yaks, (laughs) the guy by himself working five hours a day obsessively on, you know what I mean? So it's just a different perspective of this whole population. Right. Everyone has their strengths and we need to be playing the strengths and working through that rather than you know labeling students as can or can't do certain things and so that defines their future or defines who they are because yeah we know that there are many many individuals on the spectrum that do amazing things that may not have the same social skills as us may not have the same you know skills in the academic world as us but then when they're given a computer or they're given some other technology it's just amazing like what they can do Oh, here's the key, Amanda. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I want to... Oh, no, go ahead. Just what you Here's the key, Amanda. And that is, is it from your point of view what the kid can or cannot do? Mm, right. It becomes that one-way street. Right. Who are we to say? Exactly. I have, I don't know if I'll play this game with you, but in my <laughs> lectures, I have this can. Mm-hmm. This kid uh-huh. routinely, you know, waters my plant. Well, this time I have no water in it. And she's looking and looking and looking. So here's my trick question. Oh, no. What do I say, or what would a parent say? The kid's looking and looking and looking. Obviously, she's thinking, what do I say? As a parent? As a parent, as a teacher, as a I therapist. I like, go the fill, go f- you, there's no water. Say? Right, and now I'm going back to what Amanda said. I said, who do you think you are? 
to put those words in her mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. That's audacious, right? Yeah. Right. Now, why should she say water? Because problem. you think she should say water. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And Maybe that's, that's not what she's thinking. Maybe she's looking at the bottom of the can it's, to right. see what's there because usually there's water and so she sees it differently. Right. Yeah. So, so the answer, I mean, we're playing, right? We're, we're having fun yeah. with Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I love doing this in front of 200 people. I get the same answer. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But the answer to my question is, you do nothing. Let's yeah. see what comes out. And I have tapes of this. Let's see what comes out. So I do nothing. I wait. You know what the girl says? Empty. That was one of her first words. Wow. Empty. Wow. Now, you look at, you know, the speech therapists, they all have a list of common words. Let's teach that kid the word boy, because that's one of the most common words that we have statistics for. Yeah. I'm saying, throw that out. Empty came from her. It's like right. my subtitle, tapping the reservoir of normalcy. To treat autism, let the word come out. Empty. I would. Yeah. I mean, it's it was a breakthrough moment for her connecting to the language yeah. inside herself. Right. And then she started to talk. Ugh, like that. It just sends chills, right? And it seems so obvious. It seems well, just let her, you know. Fear. But I think that as parents, you know, they just want to do everything for their child, and they don't understand that that stifles, you know, to a certain extent. And I think a parent with a child with special needs feels that pressure even more so, right? To want to try and do everything and really, and that's hard. And I think that's what's so great about your perspective, more as the observer and obviously helping them along the way as well to reach that potential. So I can't blame the the parents. I know what you're saying in a way. The parents are the ones with the autistic kid. But the reason why they're doing this stuff is because they don't really know what to do. Right. People are telling them different things. Mm-hmm. They have a teacher early on, do this, they do this. Six months later, a different teacher, the, the other teacher saying the opposite. Right. It isn't working. Here's a good question that I'm going to be saying later in this group. I just spoke to a 33-year-old young man. The parent says, you know, he doesn't have a friend. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Why? This, this person's in a situation, school situation with groups his whole life. Why? How come the system, I think, totally failed? If friendship is one of the primary things that would be great to develop, right. how come he still doesn't have a friend? I think it's a failure of the system. And that, in my own practice, yeah. I do that. I literally create real, genuine, mutual friendships. Yeah. Why can't that be a goal? For if, if that's the only thing that was done when the kid's four or five years old right. or six years old, that would be enormous. Because think about it. Part of the definition of autism has a, is a social issue. Mm-hmm. If you could have this kid have a genuine friend, and in my talks, I actually go through six slides where I show you at least how I did it with this one kid or two kids, then he's not as autistic anymore, I guess, because now he has a real friend. Right. So, it's what you learn in the sandbox, right? That is lifetime. We are beings, we are humans, we are animals that gather, right? That sense of community, as we were talking about, is so imperative. But sometimes when we're taking such a clinical approach to what the IEP needs to say, and you know, it's always about academic, well, it's not just about academics, about social, emotional, and vocational as well. And you know, the IDEA, the premise is to, you know, try and get individuals that are productive members of society, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means it's somebody that can get along in this world as best as anybody can, right? I mean, right now is a weird time, but fascinating stuff. I mean, we know we want to be respectful of your time. And Rob, we we might have to have you on again. We'll we'll have to have a part two because we have so much (laughs) that we can discuss. We'll we'll have to talk about COVID next time. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) And the effect of that 
that on some of our children. But um, we are so grateful that you were on and Uniquely Normal, Tapping the Reservoir of Normalcy to Treat Autism um, can be found anywhere, really. I mean, Amazon. We would encourage you to look into your local uh, Black-owned shops to maybe purchase the book. It is wonderful. We loved have you on having you on the podcast, Robert. And you for hours. Yeah. And oh, no. is, is there if people wanted to reach you or, or just wanted to send you an email or, or something like that, how can they reach you? I would love that. It's RJB, my initials, Robert J. Bernstein, RJB at autismspeech.com. A-U-T-I-S-M-S-P-E-E-C-H. Excellent. We will put that in our show notes. And hopefully you guys got a lot out. Please pick up the book. It's so wonderfully done. And Robert, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much too, Vicki and Amanda. All right. Okay. And we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.